Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Brad, and I'm the campus pastor here in Argyle, uh, also on the preaching team. Uh, so glad to be with you. Um, we're going to be in Jonah this morning, so would encourage you to grab your Bibles and go ahead and turn there. It's on 720-something underneath the, the, the Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible, and if you do come here, I would encourage you to bring your Bible. We're going to preach out of God's Word. Um, I don't really have anything interesting to say, but God does. So um, before we get into this, uh, an announcement, um, and we don't have a picture of him. I wish we did. Um, but we have hired a, a guy named Jonathan Birch to be the uh, TDC Kids Minister based in Louisville. And so uh, for church family, it, it will affect you because his fingerprints will also be out here. Kayla is still going to be doing what she's doing here, Kayla Langston, as Kids Minister here in Argyle. Um, but we're super excited about Jonathan. Uh, not only is he qualified, not only is he a sharp, intelligent man with great experience, but he's called and what I love most about him, because I love people who believe what they believe strongly, he, is, he has zeal. This man has a passion for the gospel, has a passion for kids. Uh, so I'm excited about him and just wanted y'all to be uh, aware of that. So you'll probably be seeing him around at some point. Uh, again, Kayla Langston will still be heading it up here, but uh, we're one church in two locations, so you will see Jonathan. He's, he's an awesome dude. Um, we'll be in Jonah 1, verses 7 through 10. Verse 7 says this, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots. These are the, the mariners, the sailors on this ship talking to each other. Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Let's pray. God, we know that your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, that, that it can pierce through to our hearts. And, and so we, we come under this word today. I come under this word today, Lord, as your mouthpiece. Now, would you show us, Lord, uh, what we need to, to, to see and, and let us uh, receive that with, with thanksgiving and humility let us see Christ in these pages today, Lord, in these verses. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, that's right. Um, so often when people are having uh, marriage problems uh, and you talk to them or counsel them, they'll, they'll say, well, well, you've changed. You're not the person that I married. You've changed. You're a different person. And usually the, the person being accused says, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm actually not. But, but the truth of the matter is, 
It's true that people change. It's true when you look at your spouse and you say, you're not the person I married. You're, you're not. Because we do change over time. And when you, this isn't a sermon about marriage, but when you marry someone, you, you are marrying not just their current self, but, but who God makes them into, or even the dysfunction that, that comes out of them. There's many different versions of us, and we change often as we're trying to find ourselves, as we're trying to figure out who we are. So we try on different identities, different personas, different images, and I've done this. I've done this. There's, there's a few that I can remember just looking back over my life. In, in high school, there was, there was Cowboy Brad. And uh, Cowboy Brad, I, I did grow up somewhat around horses, but I'm not a cowboy. Um, but I kind of wanted to be. And, and so I, I, I put on the clothes and I did the things. I had the truck and the boots. I remember my buddy walked by me in, in, uh, in the hallway and he's like, man, you've gone country. I was trying to. Right? I was trying to live out an identity. I, I thought that life on the range, like Lonesome Dove, was, was really what would, would make me happy. Not really thinking about the fact that people died of starvation all the time. Y'all remember Oregon Trail? Like, you have died of dysentery. Like, you, it's, it's not always safe. And then there was Surfer Brad. I grew up in Houston. You can actually surf in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, despite the flesh-eating bacteria and the brown water. <laughs> Uh, you can, so I, I did, and so I, you know, that, that was an image for me. Then there was business Brad, and I acquired the, the trappings of success, some, some cool watches and a good job title, and I did all those things, but they were really just costumes. It was really just dress-up. I was really just trying to find myself. Who am I in this world? What do I mean to, to these people? How, how do I feel validation and feel okay with who I am? And I know for a fact that you're asking this question, whether you're saying it or not. All of you want to know who you are. All of you want to answer that question, who are you? Who are you? This is a life-defining question, and, and, and not knowing this answer or having an unhealthy response or playing dress-up is the source of so much frustration and stress in your life. And it can be such a source, if you know who you are, it can be such a source of strength and a source of comfort and stability no matter what is going on in your life. In our text today, Jonah is going to answer this question, who are you, Jonah? Who are you? He's put on an identity. We're going to see what, what that is, and it has determined the trajectory of his life. And your sense of self, your identity, your foundational understanding of who you are determines everything in your life. From where you live, to what you wear, to how you interact with people, to the job that you do. It determines everything about you. And I want to challenge you today. I believe our text is going to help us get here. I want to challenge you to embrace a Christ-shaped sense of self. A Christ-shaped sense of self. So the mariners, 
they make Jonah answer this question. Up until this point, so if you don't know Jonah, uh, Jonah has been told by God to go to Nineveh to preach repentance to these people, really to preach judgment and the opportunity to repent. Jonah doesn't want to do that. So Jonah pieces out and he catches a ride on a ship going in the opposite direction. And so he's on this ship. God will not have this. So God sends a violent storm. They're in the middle of this violent storm and Jonah has been avoiding people. It's a cargo ship. We know there's cargo on this ship. And he's acting just like another piece of cargo. He's asleep down in the cargo hold, just like another box. He's just hanging out. And the captain has interrogated him and was like, hey, what's going on? We don't see a response from Jonah. They're in the middle of a deadly storm and the ship is about to be torn apart. They're going to die. And so finally, the, 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 the sailors, after praying to their gods, they're, they're like, hey, God this one, God that one, help, help, help. And those gods aren't answering, those lowercase g gods. So they're trying to figure out what's going on, so they cast these lots. They're like, we know this has come from a God. This storm came out of nowhere. This is a supernatural event. A God has brought this upon us. So they cast lots. It was an ancient way of determining the will of God. So they cast lots, and it falls on Jonah, which means Jonah's God has done this. So they barge into Jonah, and they start peppering him with questions they're trying to figure out by knowing who he is, who his God is. So they barge in and they're like, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? There's really three things. Your, what is your purpose? What is your occupation? What is your purpose? What are you doing here, Jonah? What is your place? Where'd you come from? And who are your people? Who do you belong to? I want to know who in the world this guy is. Who are you, Jonah? So Jonah responds in verse 9. Look at what he leads with. He says, I am a Hebrew. And I feel like he said it like that. I'm a Hebrew. And this is, it may not sound like much to you, but this is how Jews would describe themselves to people outside of the people of God. It was, it was an outside looking term. I'm a Hebrew. I am of the people of God. Israel is taking more ground at this time. Israel is powerful. And so what he's saying to these pagan sailors is, I am from God's people. That's who I am. He says, I fear the Lord but he's running from God. He claims to be of God's people, but he's running from the presence of God. See, he does not want to preach repentance to Nineveh. He does not want these people, these heathens in Nineveh, to know about the offer of repentance and grace in the Lord because they are the enemy of his country and his country is his God. So if he goes to Nineveh and tells these heathens to repent, and they repent, the enemy has now been highly favored, and he does not want that. So that is the foundation for Jonah, for the enemy of his nation to repent would be like a sort of death to him. 
a death to his sense of self. Jesus says in the Gospels when he's talking about the Pharisees who were these religious group of people, he says they have God in their mouths but not in their hearts. They're claiming God. But God is not their priority. God is not their love. That's where Jonah's at. I once interviewed a young man from a powerful family, and he came in with, you know, the nice suit and the excellent resume, and it was all good, and we were talking. And as we began to ask him his story, he talked about this charity work he'd done overseas, and he said, let me be clear, he said, I'm a Texan first and a Catholic second. He said that out loud. My state is what identifies me over God. And that is who Jonah is. That is his foundation. And the foundation of our identity is like the foundation of a house. It sets the lines, the walls. So regardless of what the windows look like, the gables look like, the roof looks like, the foundation is what matters most because it determines everything. And Jonah's foundation has led him away from the presence of the Lord. So what is the foundation of your identity? What is the thing at the bottom that you love most, that you depend on most, that tells you who you are, what makes you, you? What is your foundation? How do you even answer that question? At one level, it seems really easy. It's like if you ask me, who, who are you? Well, I'm, I'm Brad. I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a pastor. I, I grew up in Houston. You know, there's a, there's a few identifiers, and that's kind of answering the question. Those markers are kind of identifying the, the answer to the question, but it's not the foundation of who I am or who you are. And so our, our culture gives us two ways to answer this. One would be the outside-in approach, and this is really what you look like, what you've accomplished, so your status objects, your wealth, how many followers you have on Instagram, external things, you in relation to other people, external things. And so there's also the, the inside-out method. This is increasingly popular. You define you. You decide who you are. You make a determination of your identity, and you demand that everyone else accept and celebrate that identity from the inside out. Live your truth. You be you. This is really you in relation to you. Your reference point is yourself. And neither of these ideas will tell us who we truly are or give us a healthy way to understand who we actually are because external factors, they're petty and they change. And internal factors, these inside out, that approach, it's, it's delusional and arrogant to think that I can just determine with my limited knowledge, just tell you who I am. And so there's, there's moving targets in this way. The reference point is not fixed so if you define yourself by external factors or inside out, 
It's just a moving target. God must be the reference point for your identity, for your sense of self. And so the question is not who are you, but who are you in relation to God? Who are you before God? That is the question. How God sees us. 1 Samuel 16 will illustrate this for us. So Samuel has been told to, to go choose the new king. And Samuel goes to the house of Jesse. Jesse has a bunch of sons, and a lot of them, they're, they're tall, they're jacked, they're, they're intelligent, they're good looking. And so they keep coming by, and Samuel's like, no, 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 no. And then finally, the, 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 the runt the one that's not as good looking, the one who's just out, he's kind of a, a rough shepherd guy. That's the one God wants. Why? It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but here it is. The Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. Why does he choose David to be king? Because he knows David's love. He knows David's foundation is a love for God. Your foundation is what you love. What you love forms the basis of your identity. So you're not what you think you are, who you think you are. That's just the image you try to project. You're not what other people think you are. That's just your reputation. And you're not what you think other people think you are. That's just your social anxiety. You are what you love. You are who you are in relation to God, and he is the reference point to your identity. And so, who are you? You're, you're like Jonah now. You're in the cargo hold. You can get up and leave if you want to, but I'm asking you, who are you? I want you to answer this question. So David was defined by his love. It said in the Bible that he was a man after God's own heart. Jesus says John the Baptist was the greatest man born of woman. Why? Because he knew who he was in relation to God. John the Baptist was, was going out preaching. He was saying, I'm not even fit to, to untie the sandals of Jesus. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Behold the Lamb of God. John the Baptist knew exactly who he was because he knew who Jesus was. And that love forms a foundation. And so when it says that the Lord looks on the heart, we, we often think, when, when I say heart, you probably think feelings. That's not the way the Bible defines heart. The Bible defines your heart as the seat, the, the very core of your mind, your will, and your emotions. It is the engine of your being. It is what drives you to do everything that you do. Not just what you feel, but it is the very center of your being. And so what our hearts are devoted to, we will worship. 
We will not just adore, but we will worship. And, and, and what we need to understand here, what you worship is not just the object of your affection, but it is the object of your transformation. You become what you behold. You are being shaped by your love, by what your heart is devoted to you. What you love will transform you into its image. That's the essence of worship. And so it matters what you worship. Psalm 115 shows us why. This will be on the screen. It says their idols, these are false gods that people have created, loves, counterfeit loves. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. You worship a dead idol, you become dead just like it. You worship anything other than God, you become just like what you are worshiping, and it's not just golden calves. It's not just little trinkets that you bow down to in some shrine somewhere. It can be good things that you bow down to. Your kids and their success, scholastically or athletically, it could be your career. It could be your reputation, sense of comfort, your appearance. These are good things. But when you elevate them, you're deluded and transformed, and you choke the joy out of these good gifts from God. If you elevate your kids, you will smother them, and you will lose the joy of being a parent. If you elevate your career, there is no success that will be enough for you. Elevate your looks, you'll become vain. Elevate your reputation, you'll just become petty. These good things are not God's. So what we elevate is really the, the foundation of our identity, what we love, what we give our hearts to. So here's a diagnostic for you. So what if you lost it? What or who? If you lost it, would make your life not worth living anymore. Like straight up, if this happened to you, you're like, I don't even want to go on living. What is that? Or what if you gained it? The thing that you're striving for, you finally got here, would make you feel like, oh, I've, I've arrived. I've made it. What if you lost it would make life not worth living? What if you gained it? would be a sense of heaven to you. That is your foundation. That is what is driving you. So what is that for you? What is your foundation? The only firm foundation for your sense of self is Jesus. 
the only firm foundation is to have a Christ-shaped sense of self to throw distractions, idols, whatever they are, overboard and to surrender to his lordship. And yes, to seek obedience to his word, absolutely, but not only that, to find yourself in him. To find that your identity is wrapped up in Jesus, that he's not just a bolt-on. That he's not just a, a helper, an imaginary friend for your life, or someone that you claim, or someone that you cry out to, but someone who informs you about you and who you are. Because everything and everyone in this world will leave you or let you down. Your reputation will change. God does not move. Your career will rise and fall with the stock market or whatever. God does not move. Your looks will fade. God does not move. Your family will change. God does not move. Jesus is the focal point. Because in Jesus, you are made right with God. You are reconciled to God. You are forgiven by God. And so where you stand in relation to God through Christ, beloved, cherished, a child of promise, all things work together for the good of those who love God. It doesn't mean it will be easy, but if God is your reference point, he is working it out for you. There is stability in knowing who you are. And so you don't just need to just change your identity this morning. As you sit there, like, oh, I'm going to just change my identity. I'm going to have a Christ-shaped sense of self. That sounds nice, better than what I've been doing. Yes, kind of, but you can't. You need a heart transplant. You don't need just to have Christ in your mouth, but Christ in your heart. You need a new heart, a new engine for your being. Not just a, a tune-up, but a new motivational source. And the good news, hear me, God goes first. He takes the initiative. 1 John 4 shows us how this works. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we just muster up a love for God, but that his love is so powerful so radical, so beautiful, so transformative that we begin to respond in love for him. That he goes first. That's the nature of love. Sacrifice for the beloved. That is what you can experience through Jesus this morning. You are who you are in the shadow of the cross. There's two things you must know. You are a great sinner. You're not just broken. You're not just flawed. 
You're not just a product of your environment, but you have rebelled against God. And the Bible says, outside of Christ, you are dead in your trespasses. You have no way to make it right. No way to change this. You are a great sinner. But Jesus is a great savior. The perfect substitute for you, the propitiation, the atonement, the payment for you. He is a perfect sacrifice. Perfect high priest who mediates between us and God. And so if you are in Christ, you have a great savior and that means you are forgiven. And you are reconciled to God. You, in relation to him, you are now one. And you get the righteousness of Christ. That when God sees you, when the Father sees you, you are as righteous as Jesus. It's called imputed righteousness. Forgiven, reconciled, righteous. If you're in Christ, that's who you are. That is your reference point. And if you realize this, if you understand this, if Jesus informs your sense of self, you will be humble. Because you know you didn't do anything to earn his grace. And you'll be joyful knowing that in him you have everything. A Christ-shaped sense of self is, is firmly anchored in grace, and, and not only do you have a good reference point in Jesus, but you're growing deeper and deeper into him because you're being transformed by him. If he is your king, you are progressively over time, sometimes slowly, becoming more like Christ. When I learned this, not just learned this, but learned this. When I, when I began to see this, it changed everything about me. Not that I don't still struggle with my identity, but I quit putting on costumes. I quit dressing up and trying to find my identity through external factors, through man-centric reference points. When I saw that God loved me first through Christ and what that cost, I... I don't want to do that anymore. I just want to root down deeper in Jesus. I still do. Jesus invites you to build your life in him today. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. Your identity is in Christ alone too. Let's look at Matthew 7 in closing. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus talking, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jonah has built his identity on sand, on his country. And now he's in the middle of a storm and he's being absolutely devastated by what is going on. I wonder where you've built your identity. I wonder what is your highest love? The object 
of your devotion. The advice is often given to young writers to kill your darlings. Writers are typically vain people. I am a writer, so I can say that. And sometimes you write things that are flowery or pretty or clever so that you look good, but, but, but that advice, kill your darlings, means that vain nonsense is not part of the story. It has no bearing on the story. And I want you to know, you are a part of a story, a grand narrative of God's story. And you need to kill your darlings. You need to kill the vanity and the fluff and the external factors and the internal determinations and you need to kill those darlings because they do not fit in God's story. There's a greater story for you. You can build your foundation of who you are. You can answer that question, I am a child of God, purchased by Christ. You can have a Christ-shaped identity. You can find yourself in him. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that we would begin to see what we've been building our identities upon. that you would reveal, Holy Spirit, our greatest love, the object of our devotion. And would you help us to dethrone it if it is not you, Jesus? Would you help us to repent of it if it is not you, Jesus? Whatever distracts us, whatever makes that who are you question so difficult for us, would you move it aside? Would you kill it? Would we be able to say, when someone asks, who are you, that, that Lord, we are your child, bought with blood, by grace. May we be identified with you, Jesus, the rock, the immovable reference point for our souls, not only for now in this life, but forever. Ground us in you. Give us a Christ-shaped sense of self, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.